Chapter forty five, part two of Leviathan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Leviathan by Thomas Hobbes. Chapter forty five of Demonology and Other Relics of the Religion of the Gentiles. Part two. Having shown what is worship and what an image, I will now put them together and examine what that idolatry is which is forbidden in the second commandment and other places of the scripture to worship an image is voluntarily to do those external acts which are signs of honouring either the matter of the image which is wood stone metal or some other visible creature or the phantasm of the brain for the resemblance or representation whereof the matter was formed and figured or both together as one animate body composed of the matter and the phantasm, as of a body and soul. To be uncovered, before a man of power and authority, or before the throne of a prince, or in such other places as he ordaineth to that purpose in his absence, is to worship that man or prince with civil worship, as being a sign, not of honouring the stool or place, but the person, and is not idolatry." But if he that doth it should suppose the soul of the prince to be in the stool, or should present a petition to the stool, it were divine worship and idolatry. To pray to a king for such things as he is able to do for us, though we prostrate ourselves before him, is but civil worship, because we acknowledge no other power in him but human, but voluntarily to pray unto him for fair weather, or for anything which God only can do for us, is divine worship and idolatry. On the other side, if a king compel a man to do it by the terror of death, or other great corporeal punishment, it is not idolatry, for the worship which the sovereign commandeth to be done unto himself by the terror of his laws is not a sign that he obeyeth him does inwardly honour him as a god, but that he is desirous to save himself from death, or from a miserable life, and that which is not a sign of internal honour is no worship, and therefore no idolatry." Neither can it be said that he that does it scandalizeth or layeth any stumbling-block before his brother, because how wise or learned soever he be that worshippeth in that manner, another man cannot from thence argue that he approveth it, but that he doth it for fear, and that it is not his act, but the act of his sovereign. To worship God in some peculiar place, or turning a man's face towards an image or determinate place, is not to worship or honour the place or image, but to acknowledge it wholly, that is to say, to acknowledge the image or the place to be set apart from common use, for that is the meaning of the word holy, which implies no new quality in the place or image, but only a new relation by appropriation to God, and therefore is not idolatry, no more than it was idolatry to worship God before the brazen serpent, or for the Jews, when they were out of their own country, to turn their faces, when they prayed, toward the temple of Jerusalem, or for Moses to put off his shoes when he was before the burning bush, the ground appertaining to Mount Sinai, which place God hath chosen to appear in, and to give his laws to the people of Israel, and was therefore holy ground, not by inherent sanctity, but by separation to God's use, or for Christians to worship in the churches which are once solemnly dedicated to God for that purpose, by the authority of the king or other true representative of the church." But to worship God is in animating or inhabiting such image or place, that is to say, an infinite substance in a finite place, is idolatry, 
for such finite gods are but idols of the brain, nothing real, and are commonly called in the scripture by the names of vanity, and lies, and nothing. Also to worship God, not as inanimating, or present in the place or image, but to the end to be put in mind of him, or of some works of his, in case the place or image be dedicated or set up by private authority, and not by the authority of them that are our sovereign pastors, is idolatry. For the commandment is, Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image. God commanded Moses to set up the brazen serpent. He did not make it to himself. It was not, therefore, against the commandment. But the making of the golden calf by Aaron and the people, as being done without authority from God, was idolatry, not only because they held it for God, but also because they made it for a religious use, without warrant either from God their sovereign, or from Moses that was his lieutenant. The Gentiles worshipped, for gods, Jupiter, and others that, living, were men, perhaps, that had done great and glorious acts, and for the children of God, diverse men and women, supposing them gotten between immortal deity and a mortal man. This was idolatry, because they made them so to themselves, having no authority from God, neither in his eternal law of reason, nor in his positive and revealed will. But though our Saviour was a man, whom we also believe to be God immortal and the Son of God, yet this is no idolatry, because we build not that belief upon our own fancy or judgment, but upon the word of God revealed in the Scriptures. And for the adoration of the Eucharist, if the words of Christ, This is my body, signify that he himself, and the seeming bread in his hand, and not only so, but that all the seeming morsels of bread that have ever since been, and any time hereafter shall be, consecrated by priests, be so many Christ's bodies, and yet all of them but one body, then that is no idolatry, because it is authorized by our Saviour. But if that text do not signify that, for there is no other that can be alleged for it, then because it is a worship of human institution, it is idolatry. For it is not enough to say, God can transubstantiate the bread into Christ's body, for the Gentiles also held God to be omnipotent, and might upon that ground no less execute their idolatry, by pretending, as well as others, a transubstantiation of their wood and stone into God Almighty. Whereas there be, that pretend divine inspiration to be a supernatural entering of the Holy Ghost into a man, and not an acquisition of God's graces by doctrine and study, I think they are in a very dangerous dilemma. For if they worship not the men whom they believe to be so inspired, they fall into impiety, as not adoring God's supernatural presence. And again, if they worship them, they commit idolatry, for the apostles would never permit themselves to be so worshipped. Therefore the safest way is to believe that, by the descending of the dove upon the apostles, and by Christ's breathing on them when he gave them the Holy Ghost, and by giving of it by imposition of hands, are understood the signs which God hath been pleased to use, or ordained to be used, of his promise to assist those persons in their study to preach his kingdom, and in their conversation, that it might not be scandalous, but edifying to others. Besides the idolatrous worship of images, there is also a scandalous worship of them, which is also a sin, but not idolatry. For idolatry is to worship by signs of an internal and real honour, but scandalous worship is but seeming worship, and may sometimes be joined with an inward and hearty detestation, both of the image and of the fantastical demon or idol to which it is dedicated, 
and proceed only from the fear of death or other grievous punishment, and is nevertheless a sin in them that so worship, in case they be men whose actions are looked at by others as lights to guide them by, because following their ways they cannot but stumble and fall in the way of religion, whereas the example of those we regard not works not on us all, but leaves us to our own diligence and caution, and consequently are no causes of our failing. If therefore a pastor lawfully called to teach and direct others, or any other of whose knowledge there is a great opinion, do external honour to an idol for fear, unless he make his fear and unwillingness to it as evident as the worship, he scandalizeth his brother by seeming to approve idolatry. For his brother, arguing from the action of his teacher, or of him whose knowledge he esteemeth great, concludes it to be lawful in itself. And this scandal is sin, and a scandal given. But if one being no pastor, nor of eminent reputation for knowledge in Christian doctrine, do the same, and another follow him, this is no scandal given, for he had no cause to follow such example, but is a pretense of scandal which he taketh of himself for an excuse before men. For if an unlearned man that is in the power of an idolatrous king or state, if commanded on pain of death to worship before an idol, he detesteth the idol in his heart, he doth well, though if he had the fortitude to suffer death, rather than worship it, he should do better. But if a pastor, who as Christ's messenger has undertaken to teach Christ's doctrine to all nations, should do the same, it were not only a sinful scandal, in respect of other Christian men's consciences, but a perfidious forsaking of his charge. The sum of that which I have said hitherto, concerning the worship of images, is this, that he that worshippeth in an image or any creature, either the matter thereof, or any fancy of his own which he thinketh to dwell in it, or both together, or believeth that such things hear his prayers, or see his devotions, without ears or eyes, committeth idolatry. And he that counterfeiteth such worship for fear of punishment, if he be a man whose example hath power amongst his brethren, committeth a sin. But he that worshippeth the Creator of the world before such an image, or in such a place as he hath not made or chosen of himself, but taken from the commandment of God's word, as the Jews did in worshipping God before the cherubim, and before the brazen serpent for a time, and in or toward the temple of Jerusalem, which was also but for a time, committeth not idolatry. Now, for the worship of saints and images and relics and other things at this day practised in the church of Rome, I say they are not allowed by the word of God, nor brought into the church of Rome from the doctrine there taught, but partly left in it at the first conversion of the Gentiles, and afterwards countenanced and confirmed and augmented by the bishops of Rome. As for the proofs alleged out of Scripture, namely those examples of images appointed by God to be set up, they were not set up for the people or any man to worship, but that they should worship God himself before them, as before the cherubim over the ark and the brazen serpent. For we read not that the priest or any other did worship the cherubim, but contrarily we read that Hezekiah broke in pieces the brazen serpent which Moses had set up, Second Kings 18.4, because the people burnt incense to it. Besides, those examples are not put for our imitation, that we should also set up images, under pretense of worshipping God before them, because the words of the second commandment, Thou shalt not make to thyself any graven image, etc., distinguish between the images that God commanded to be set up, and those which we set up to ourselves. 
and therefore from the cherubim or brazen serpent to the images of man's devising, and from the worship commanded by God to the will-worship of men, the argument is not good. This also is to be considered, that as Hezekiah broke in pieces the brazen serpent, because the Jews did worship it, to the end they should do so no more, so also Christian sovereigns ought to break down the images which their subjects have been accustomed to worship, that there be no more occasion of such idolatry. For at this day the ignorant people, where images are worshipped, do really believe there is a divine power in the images, and are told by their pastors that some of them have spoken, and have bled, and that miracles have been done by them, which they apprehend as done by the saint, which they think either is the image itself or in it. The Israelites, when they worshipped the calf, did think they worshipped the God that brought them out of Egypt, and yet it was idolatry, because they thought the calf either was that God, or had him in his belly. And though some man may think it impossible for people to be so stupid as to think the image to be God, or a saint, or to worship it in that notion, yet it is manifest in Scripture to the contrary, where, when the golden calf was made, the people said, These are thy gods, O Israel, Exodus 32, and where the images of Laban are called his gods, Genesis 31, 30, and we see daily by experience in all sorts of people that such men as study nothing but their food and ease are content to believe any absurdity, rather than to trouble themselves to examine it, holding their faith, as it were, by entail unalienable, except by an express and new law. But they infer from some other places that it is lawful to paint angels, and also God himself, as from God's walking in the garden, from Jacob's seeing God at the top of the ladder, and from other visions and dreams. But visions and dreams, whether natural or supernatural, are but phantasms, and he that painteth an image of any of them maketh not an image of God, but of his own phantasm, which is making of an idol. I say not that to draw a picture after a fancy is a sin, but when it is drawn, to hold it for a representation of God is against the second commandment, and can be of no use but to worship. And the same may be said of the images of angels, and of men dead, unless as monuments or friends, or of men worthy remembrance, for such use of the image is not worship of the image, but a civil honouring of the person, not that is, but that was, but when it is done to the image which we make of a saint, for no other reason but that we think he heareth our prayers, and is pleased with the honour we do him, when dead and without sense, we attribute to him more than human power, and therefore it is idolatry. Seeing, therefore, there is no authority, neither in the law of Moses nor in the gospel, for the religious worship of images or other representations of God which men set up to themselves, or for the worship of the image of any creature in heaven, or earth, or under the earth, and whereas Christian kings, who are living representants of God, are not to be worshipped by their subjects by any act that signifieth a greater esteem of his power, a greater esteem of his power than the nature of mortal man is capable of, it cannot be imagined that the religious worship now in use was brought into the church by misunderstanding of the scripture. It resteth, therefore, that it was left in it by not destroying the images themselves in the conversion of the Gentiles that worshipped them. The cause whereof was the immoderate esteem and prices set upon the workmanship of them, which made the owners, though converted from worshipping them as they had done religiously for demons, to retain them still in their houses, 
upon pretense of doing it in the honour of Christ, of the Virgin Mary, and of the Apostles, and other the pastors of the primitive church, as being easy, by giving them new names, to make that an image of the Virgin Mary, and of her Son our Saviour, which before perhaps was called the image of Venus and Cupid, and so of a Jupiter to make a Barnabas, and of Mercury a Paul, and the like. And as worldly ambition, creeping by degrees into the new pastors, drew them to an endeavour of pleasing the new-made Christians, and also to a liking of this kind of honour, which they also might hope for after their decease, as well as those that had already gained it, so the worshipping of the images of Christ and his apostles grew more and more idolatrous, save that somewhat after the time of Constantine diverse emperors and bishops and general councils observed and opposed the unlawfulness thereof, but too late or too weakly. The canonizing of saints is another relic of Gentilism. It is neither a misunderstanding of Scripture, nor a new invention of the Roman Church, but a custom as ancient as the commonwealth of Rome itself. The first that ever was canonized at Rome was Romulus, and that upon the narration of Julius Proculus, that swore before the Senate he spoke with him after his death, and was assured by him he dwelt in heaven, and was there called Quirinus, and would be propitious to the state of their new city, and thereupon the Senate gave public testimony of his sanctity. Julius Caesar, and other emperors after him, had the like testimony, that is, were canonized for saints, for by such testimony is canonization now defined, and is the same with the apotheosis of the heathen. It is also from the Roman heathen that the popes have received the name and power of Pontifex Maximus. This was the name of him that in the ancient commonwealth of Rome had the supreme authority under the senate and people of regulating all ceremonies and doctrines concerning their religion, and when Augustus Caesar changed the state into a monarchy, he took to himself no more but this office, and that of tribune of the people, that is to say, the supreme power both in state and religion, and the succeeding emperors enjoyed the same. But when the emperor Constantine lived, who was the first that professed and authorized Christian religion, it was consonant to his profession to cause religion to be regulated under his authority by the bishop of Rome, though it do not appear they had so soon the name of Pontifex, but rather that the succeeding bishops took it of themselves, to countenance the power they exercised over the bishops of the Roman provinces. For it is not any privilege of St. Peter, but the privilege of the city of Rome, which the emperors were always willing to uphold, that gave them such authority over other bishops, as may be evidently seen by that, that the bishop of Constantinople, when the emperor made that city the seat of the empire, pretended to be equal to the bishop of Rome, though at last, not without contention, the pope carried it, and became the Pontifex Maximus, but in right only of the emperor, and not without the bounds of the empire, nor anywhere after the emperor had lost his power in Rome, though it were the pope himself that took his power from him. From whence we may by the way observe that there is no place for the superiority of the pope over other bishops, except in the territories whereof he is himself the civil sovereign, and where the emperor, having sovereign power civil, hath expressly chosen the Pope for the chief pastor under himself of his Christian subjects. The carrying about of images in procession is another relic of the religion of the Greeks and Romans, for they also carried their idols from place to place, in a kind of chariot, which was peculiarly dedicated to that use, which the Latins called thensa and vehiculum deorum, 
and the image was placed in a frame, or shrine, which they called for Cullum. And that which they call Pompa is the same now that is named procession, according whereunto, amongst the divine honours which were given to Julius Caesar by the Senate, this was one, that in the pomp, or procession, at the Circaean Games, he should have Thensum at Fernicum, a sacred chariot and a shrine, which was as much to be carried up and down as a god, just as at this day the popes are carried by Switzers under a canopy. To these processions also belonged the bearing of burning torches and candles before the images of the gods, both amongst the Greeks and Romans. For afterwards the emperors of Rome received the same honour, as we read of Caligula, that at his reception to the empire he was carried from Mycenaeum to Rome in the midst of a throng of people, the ways beset with altars, and beasts for sacrifice, and burning torches, and of Caracalla, that was received into Alexandria with incense, and with casting of flowers, and Daducheas, that is, with torches, for Dadachoi were they that amongst the Greeks carried torches lighted in the processions of their gods. And in process of time the devout but ignorant people did many times honour their bishops with the like pomp of wax candles, and the images of our Saviour and the saints, constantly in the church itself. And thus came in the use of wax candles, and was also established by some of the ancient councils. The heathens also had their aqua lustralis, that is to say, holy water. The Church of Rome imitates them also in their holy days. They had their bacchanalia, and we have our wakes, answering to them. They their saturnalia, and we our carnivals in Shrove Tuesday's liberty of servants. They their procession of Priapus, we our fetching in, erection, and dancing about maypoles, and dancing is one kind of worship. They had their procession called Ambervalia, and we our procession about the fields in the rogation week. Nor do I think that these are all the ceremonies that have been left in the church from the first conversion of the Gentiles, but they are all that I can for the present call to mind. And if a man would well observe that which is delivered in the histories concerning the religious rites of the Greeks and Romans, I doubt not, but he might find many more of these old empty bottles of Gentilism, which the doctors of the Roman church, either by negligence or ambition, have filled up again with the new wine of Christianity, that will not fail in time to break them. End of chapter 45, part 2